The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome once again to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast going through every show from the first Nitro right the way through to the last, taking in Thursday Night Thunder, or Wednesday Night Thunder, or Tuesday Night Thunder, or whenever bloody well showed it, because it jumped around all over the damn place. Any Clash of Champions, any pay-per-views, anything at all, except Saturday Night, we kind of skip that shite. I am Soy, and with me, as always, is the Encyclopedia of Wrestling, Scottish Danny. How are we doing? Hello, Si. I'm happy to be here for another week of Nitro. Um, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, good. I'm I'm prepared myself to be let down a little bit because last week's Nitro was a barnstormer. We sang that show's praises right to the hilt. Here, I mean, it was not as good, but it was okay. Yeah, I'll, I would agree with that as well. But um, I'm excited to talk about this. About three points I really want to talk about with you on this. So I'm happy to get into it. Okay, great. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is looking at the December 18th edition of Monday Nitro from 1995. We are coming from Augusta in Georgia. And the TV ratings for this week, Raw garnered a 2.3, Nitro a 2.7. So another short little close win for Monday Nitro there. We start the show. Uh, and I imagine this is going to be one of the segments you might want to discuss with us, Danny. <laughs> we start the show with our usual trio of more. I say trio, it's it's a foursome, really, of Mongo, Heenan, and Bischoff, and little Pepe the dog, of course. He, oh, oh, he's growing on me, that little fucker. Fair play with him. Uh, and they're talking about upcoming matches and the event and Starcade and so on. But their conversation gets cut short quite quickly by a familiar face, Danny that this i had only seen this once on a dvd and only read about it a couple of times but this was brilliant medusa appears doesn't she she does she does and i'm sure everyone i'm sure any wrestling fan has seen this it's one of the moments similar to luger turning up on the first nitro it's one of those moments that when you talk about shots fired from wcw early in the monday night wars that that gets replayed all the time and it is like, as Danny said, it's on the DVDs and so on. It, it's the WWF women's champion standing behind the commentary desk. The three guys in front of her wondering what the hell she's doing there. And she's got the pink women's WWF title belt with her. I mean, talk us through this segment, Danny. Talk us through what you saw and uh, what you thought. Absolute chaos. Um, as you said, the announcers just run down the card. She just shows up. Uh, Medusa just shows up. And uh, first off, insults Pepe the dog, which is just such a heel move. I mean, how could you insult a dog like that? <laughs> <laughs> Referring to it as bat dog. But and uh, Steve McMichael was pissed, wasn't he? He, he was like, oh, he couldn't do anything. I think that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I but, think she, um, she yeah. was cropped there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he, um, yeah, um, Medusa just uh, said 
she's always been reduced. She's always been reduced. She always will be reduced. And then pulled out the, as you said, the pink WWF Women's Championship and just threw it in the trash can, which was just, um, just absolutely bonkers. I mean, that's not that's the last thing you would have expected, to be honest with you. I mean, we've seen Lex Luger, as you said, um, come round, but this was explosive, and it just I can just imagine back in the day people just flipping over to Nitro from Raw to see this chaos and wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, what did you think about this whole segment, sir? Well, when I put this on, I I had a message off you this afternoon saying December the eighteenth, Nitro the open to that show is fire. Yeah. And I was like, shut up, Dan. I've not seen it yet. Don't want any spoilers. <laughs> That's <laughs> so why I, I just down, put the, the flames on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I sat down, knowing how good the previous week's Nitro was, when I sat down to watch this show, I expected some some carrying on of what made last week's show so good. The different layers to the Sting, Luger, Hogan, Savage aspects, the world title nonsense going into Starcade and all that. All the stuff that we enjoyed last week. I expected there to be more of that kind of carrying on, I suppose. So I sat down waiting for that and we got the commentators there. And it really hit me like a bolt out of the blue. There she was. There was Medusa. And I was like, oh my God, okay, this is that show then. This is that show. Because obviously I've seen this God knows how many times or where it happened or what, but I wasn't expecting. I, I, I don't know the date off the top of my head or anything like that. So I didn't know it was this when I pressed play. I didn't know it was this. So it completely threw me at first because I was expecting something completely different. But then I was like, oh my God, this, this is history. This is, you know, this is one of those moments that gets referenced back to over and over and over again. And it was, it was so important in, in so much going forward. Everything that happened at Montreal. Everything that happened at Montreal with regards to Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, um, Bret saying, I'll drop the belt the next night when he was when he was already out of contract, all that stuff, them having to screw Bret out of the championship so he didn't take it to WWE, that, that concern that they had, that high level of paranoia that they had about Bret taking the belt to WCW and so on, all of that stems from this moment. Wow. All of it stems from... Bischoff, uh, sorry, not Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard has spoke about it on his podcast numerous times. And so on, saying that this was in the back of Vince McMahon's mind going into Montreal in '97. That this was like a big moment, and WWF were made to look ridiculous and silly and laughed at in the magazines and the dirt sheets and so on because one of their champions was on the other channel with their belt, throwing the belt in the trash, belittling their company, being incredibly disrespectful to their company. This was in the mind of Pritchard, the mind of McMahon, and so on going into Montreal in '97. Okay. The whole stuff of Sean and, and Brett, there's a lot more to that than just, you know, but, but this was a nugget in the back of McMahon's mind of, well, it's happened before. Kind of influenced him saying, not not trusting Brett, I suppose. It was, it was a part of it, at least. And it's just the history of this moment. Seeing it replayed in DVDs and documentaries and so on is one thing. Reading about the history from different viewpoints is another but seeing it as part of a timeline as we are, Danny, you could, you're really starting to see things changing with WCW now because we're seeing the cruiserweights coming in. We're seeing Hogan getting booed or hearing Hogan getting booed, I suppose is the right term. Apologies. We're hearing Hogan getting booed. We're, we're seeing the Dungeon of Doom are kind of fading away a little bit now. I mean, they do come back for another event in a big way, but they are kind of fading away now. As I, and then we get these, these moments here like Medusa and so on. Things are really accelerating now to what we know WCW will become. So it's fascinating seeing it all come together in like a timeline aspect for me. Yeah, I mean, I'll 100% agree with that because um, the, the fascinating thing about this is um, like in 2015, Medusa was inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame and she brought that championship and took it out of the trash can, which was yeah. such a cool moment. Um, but like, I just yeah, like you said, with with context, it's so much more better than just reading about it and watching it on the DVD because they only show like a little clip of it on the DVDs that I remember, and just reading about it, it's not like you just put it perfectly with context. It is so much better. Yeah, I mean, Medusa ultimately she said in her Hall of Fame. Well, she said here for a start, I have always been Medusa. 
they used to call me Alundra Blaze, but I've always been Medusa. And with her Hall of Fame induction as well, uh, a few years back, as you mentioned, Danny, she actually put a tweet out saying, I'm being inducted as Alundra Blaze, but that bitch Medusa will be on stage. Hmm. You know, is, is what she put. And the reason that, obviously, McMahon likes to own all the names and so on, they wouldn't allow her to be called Medusa in WWF because she owns the name already. She'd already gone out and had the foresight to copyright the, the name Medusa. I mean, she worked in uh, AWA, was where she got some of her early breaks in the 80s. She'd been out to Japan a few times. I mean, she, she'd initially won the um, Rookie of the Year Award in the Wrestling Observer from Dave Meltzer. Now, we shit on Dave Meltzer on this show and numerous other shows I'm involved in. But however these awards they do carry a bit of weight especially when especially the further back you go maybe not so much nowadays but the further back you go it, I, I count his opinion in the 80s more valid than maybe his opinion now i guess i don't know if that's an age yeah I, I don't know but whatever it's she's the first female to win the rookie of the year award and she could do she could work she could you know she wrestled in japan to a, to, to a decent standard uh, her WWF run was filled with, again, with Japanese opponents, Bull Nakano and all that sort of stuff we saw. She could really do some, some good things. I mean, we're seeing a wrestling, women's wrestling now of a much higher standard now than, than it was back in 95, 96 and, and so on. However, at that time in America, you didn't see women's wrestling like this. It was hair pulling and it was slapping. And then shortly after that, it became bra and panties matches, mud matches, evening game matches and all that sort of divas nonsense actual women's wrestling for a long time in the states i mean you had others involved of course but the figurehead of it was medusa so seeing her walk out of the wwf well she didn't walk out she, she had a contract cut it was a cost-cutting measure effectively wwf was losing money hand over fist they they they, they released her they cancelled her contract as they do with so many people now but she was still their champion at the time so she just turned up on nitro with the belt Apparently, she says that she wasn't keen on doing this angle, and Eric Bischoff coerced her into it. Uh, Bischoff has since said she didn't take much convincing, shall we say. But obviously, I like to think that if you've got two people in the wrestling business, and one says one thing, one says the other, the truth kind of lies maybe somewhere in between, you, you tend to find. But either way, what a moment. It's so It's such a simple gesture, just dropping something in a bin. But it's so historic, Danny. Absolutely. That's a great word, historic, because, um, yeah, it's just it, it's something that when you think of Nitro, you think there's like, if you count the top five moments of Nitro, this would definitely be one of them. Oh, that's a big shout. I, I think it's going to be up there. Oh, that is a big shout. Top five. I'll tell you what. Maybe we should start making notes because then when we come to the end of our incredibly long journey in a few years' time, we could actually do a top five or top ten moment and see and see whether that stands in the top five, maybe. It's yeah. going to be up there, don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, at this stage anyway, it's uh, it's to me, it's Luger turning up and and it's this. They're the two yeah. at the moment, you know? Uh, just, on, just quickly, what a gross oversight by Vince McMahon to let his WWF women's champion go but just just the better not have the belt i mean china did the exact same thing and she got to keep the belt um, although that was different circumstances but you'd think that he would actually get the belts back first and then release them wow it seems that it seems that a lot of wrestling promoters have this issue you know you have problems like this in japan where people are, are leaving and they've still got the title uh it goes back to the 90s and, and before even you know, with the formation of New Japan and people leaving different companies to join New Japan in the seventh in the seventies and through to the early eighties and so on. You also get issues with ECW champions leaving, was being champion. WCW had it a great deal. I mean, it, at the very trail end of WCW, you had Haku appear at the Royal Rumble. He was still a WCW hardcore champion, but he left the company by this stage. Uh, Bret Hart was negotiating in nineteen ninety one to leave the WWF and join WCW. And if he'd done it a little bit earlier and not let his um, automatic renew clause click active on the contract and get him tied in for another year, the Intercontinental Champion would have been over in WCW. And obviously we got the whole Montreal thing, which is the biggest, I suppose. He's the world champion, for crying out loud, the WWF champion. And they're like, 
oh, his contract expires. Oh my goodness. Well, he's actually, our, he's still our champion. What should we do? And all the nonsense that was caused by that. It just seems baffling to me that how can, how can these things happen? How can they, how can they allow it to be a situation where, you know, surely you have a bit of foresight. Okay. This guy's contract's coming up in six months. Don't stick the bleeding belt on him before then. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think the I agree with every part of that, apart from the Haku situation, because who's going to take the hardcore championship off of Haku? Well, this is it. That's probably he's probably still got it now. It's probably oh, still yeah. right now. Sat sat on his mantelpiece at home, you know, or or, or upturned with a little hole in grave, just used as an ashtray or something. I don't know. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what a wild open, and and we get even more. Then we get Will Perry, the fridge from the NFL, turning up, and similar yeah. to the basketball player we had arrive the other uh, a couple of weeks ago on Nitro. Is there a real point to him being there? I found this very odd because the first off he's in the WWE Hall of Fame, which is just insane because mm-hmm. he competed at the battle Royal at WrestleMania two, but it yep. was like, like he was there. Mongo says he was there to be their security, but from what? Well, Mongo said he's sick of wrestlers coming up onto the entrance ramp, but it happens after on this show. Since it happens again, even though Perry is supposed to be there, I mean, he's obviously wandered off at this stage. Perry, he's not doing his job properly, you know. But he's there apparently to stop wrestlers wandering up the entrance ramp and bothering Bischoff, Mongo, and Heenan whilst they're doing commentary and stuff. Which okay, it does happen. I mean, Flair's been up there and ranted at people and uh, and so on. But well, the opening of this show, we see Medusa do it. So you know, and that's before the the security of the fridge is brought in, of course. But it happens again later in the same show. So he's not very good at it, is he? No, he's not. Um, I feel that this was just a, a payday for the fridge. I seriously doubt this is going to be a weekly thing for him. I think it's another. I think it's also about getting him on television. Because one of the first things Bischoff did was mention, oh, we had such and such from the basketball, you know, the, the NBA last week or the week before or a couple of weeks ago. This week we've got will perry anything can happen and it is that aspect of you don't know who's going to turn up we've just had medusa and he lists medusa he says we've just had medusa the wwf women's champion is the words he uses turn up on nitro we've now got will the fridge perry turn up on nitro a couple of weeks back we had a star of the nba turn up on nitro and he's really trying to sell it as don't watch the other channel don't turn off don't turn over stick with us because you never know what's going to happen. And it's that unpredictability and I suppose the surprise factor that was so um, strongly sought after in the the Monday night era, because it did make you want to watch both shows. And when one show was getting it right, you felt if you did turn over to check the other show, you were going to miss out. Yeah, definitely good points. We then go straight down to the ring. And there's no hanging about or, or, or more nonsense from the commentary team. We go straight down to the ring to see the introduction of Ric Flair. So my my God, we've got we've got all these stars and, and these surprises, and then Ric Flair turns up out the blue straight away to open Nitro. I mean, they're really they're really putting out all the stops on this this open, aren't they? And Flair is this is a match we should have got a few weeks ago because Flair was supposed to wrestle Eddie Guerrero. He pulled out saying, I'm not going to lower myself to wrestle wrestling somebody of your standard. And Pillman took the match instead. But Flair at the time was nursing a shoulder injury, I think. I think it was a shoulder injury. I can't be sure. But um, Flair was nursing this injury. Now Flair is back. We're going to finally get the match. Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love this match, Danny. This is Flair being the ultimate heel. Eddie Guerrero doing what he does best. Talk us through this match, my friend. Yeah. Um, last week I mentioned um, about the old veteran taking the new uh, guy under his wing and having a good match, bringing the best out of him. I think this was a perfect example of that. Um, this match went nine minutes, just over nine minutes, and it was um, a great back and forth match. But like, I felt like Eddie Guerrero was definitely elevated after this. Um it was just, yeah, just brilliant match. And like you said, it should have happened a couple of weeks ago, but um, because of Ric Flair's injury, we didn't get that. But this, yeah, 
I, would, I think the, these two did end up having a match on pay-per-view and um, nothing will top that for me because I do remember that. But yeah, this okay. was a good match. Good little, very good opening 10 minutes. Um, what did you think about it, Si? Yeah, no, I, yeah, totally. I, I agree. I agree. And the fact that they gave it as long as they did, I think really allows the the sort of mini story they're trying to tell develop. Uh, when you think about it, the show was what, 45 minutes long, 50 minutes long, something like that. And they've given it close to 10 minutes. That's a big old chunk of TV time for, for the opener where normally yeah. we get, you know, a couple of minutes, a throwaway match, and then we move on to our next segment because we're always building towards the main event and so on. Flair and Guerrero getting that amount of time in the opener is is quite spectacular for me. But, I mean, we see <laughs> we see Flair bumping all over the place early on for Eddie Guerrero from drop kicks. And so, I mean, Eddie Guerrero's drop kick, man, just absolutely brilliant. It's so on the money. It looks like he's proper tagging Flair right on the forehead every time. It's, it's, it's superb. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero definitely. hits a tornado ddt and a flying head scissors and and the head scissors doesn't quite go to plan but flair is trying to trying to bump for guerrero in these moves i guess um eventually eddie guerrero is he takes to the top rope flair bangs into the ropes to knock him off he tweaks his knee flair then works on the knee and we kind of know where where we're heading here the top blocks start coming out uh, and all this sort of stuff but eventually the figure four is cinched in on Eddie Guerrero. And we get quite an unusual finish, but one that I actually really liked because we don't see it very often. Talk us through the finish this, Danny. Yeah, so um, they have the... Ray Flair has the figure four on for a long time. Eddie Guerrero um, is getting pinned, but he keeps kicking out because when your shoulder's on the mat, you're, you're still getting pinned, so he kicks out. But then eventually, he just can't kick out anymore, and he just passes out. And like you said, Sai, it's very unique to see that. Um, and that's something we don't see a lot today either. And it wasn't something we saw a lot back then either. So, yeah, really good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, is Flair the biggest star? I mean, that's safe to say, isn't it? Flair's the biggest star at this, this time in their career, of course. That's Flair, the biggest star, beating the the younger guy with his finish in the middle of the ring. But Guerrero doesn't have to quit. So it, it, if Guerrero submitted here, it would probably, you'd probably have a different feeling about Eddie Guerrero coming out of that match but the fact that he didn't submit and eric bischoff on commentary points this out he didn't submit he passed out because of the pain rather than quit i think makes guerrero come out of it in a much better light than if it was just a submission finish in a similar way to austin bret hart wrestlemania 13 i guess is is the obvious one where this kind of finish has been used before but i thought it was an owner danny I, i thought it was great yeah, same, same. To steal one of your words, um, it was a barnstormer of a match. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, little mean Gene pops up, and he is now talking with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And then Kevin Sullivan turns up. And this is, I suppose, something that I've not really given much thought to. But we've got all these different layers to the world title picture and the main event picture you know, intertwining stories and such and such as friends with this guy, but enemies with this guy, but that guy's enemies with this guy who is friends with the first person and back and forth and so on. Never really entered my mind hugely about the Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen and where they kind of stand as, as opposed to where across the ring or, or next to each other, potentially. So Sullivan arrives, starts talking of Pillman and saying, Brian Pillman is going to cause your group trouble. Brian Pillman is a loose cannon You've got to get him under control. You've got to sort this out. This is no good. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that was very realistic as well, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Arn Anderson here, with, with the, for me, the line of the night. I love it because Arn is so believable. He's so believable. He turns and he says, if you come looking for Pillman, you may just find Flair and Anderson. But it's delivered so cold, like, I don't I don't, I don't, don't sweat you guys. You come looking for my buddy. You come looking for my, my mem- the member of my group. You're going to have me to deal with. Arn Anderson, we keep saying it over and over again, but Arn Anderson is bloody fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, that was delivered very powerful, very cold, as you said. And yeah, Arn Anderson, there's nothing you can say bad about this guy. I mean, here, he's, uh, I think he's 36 years old, but Mm -hmm. like, like he's been a wrestler 
it's like he's 50 years old and he's like one of those guys that's just been around for years and years and years. And he is to a degree, but like, it just seems like he's like got more seniority than he has. Yeah. It's it's just so believable. I mean, Flair, Flair's obviously the star in the horseman, isn't he? He wins all the world titles. He's in the main events. He is Ric Flair, obviously, but Arn's the glue. Arn holds it all together. You know, the, the other members that interchange in the horseman, to me, it's more important they get seen with Arn and given the vote of confidence from Arn to make sure that their their sort of arrival into the Horseman group works than if they're seen with Flair. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Mm, yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, we then get an example of how brilliant Will Perry is at his job of security because Sergeant Pittman arrives at the commentary desk and he wants Bobby Heenan to manage him. He says, he's been doing lots of research and lots of digging and Heenan used to be the best manager in the world. Will you manage me to the world title? I mean, first of all, I'm thinking Heenan was good, but he weren't that bloody good pal. Lower your target a little bit, I think. But he yeah. basically says, I can I can put you on the path to somebody who can help you, maybe a Jimmy Hart, etc. But I, I'm I'm done with all that. I, I'm a broadcast journalist now. I'm I'm doing commentary. That part of my life is finished. And uh Pittman then turns around and goes, Okay, but if I don't get a manager soon, you're gonna see a bad side of me. And it's like, right, that was a bit odd that that really was weird wasn't it it was like it just came out of nowhere um as you said um uh william the fridge perry just do, where was he during this uh, backstage with medusa looking at the women's title belt or something i don't know he's not he's yes. not doing what mongo's he's not doing what mongo's asked him to do is he let's be honest no he's not but um and, and then I, I kept thinking to myself Imagine Sergeant Pittman with Bobby Heenan. Like, I just it just wouldn't match at all. I mean, Pittman is a Saturday night star. I mean, you it's hard to say call somebody a jobber and things like that, but he's not on Bobby Heenan's level, in my opinion. Um, what do you think, Si? Uh, I think it depends on how it was done. Obviously, context is hugely important, isn't it? Now, Heenan being as good as he was in a similar way to Heyman, I guess, nowadays, is incredibly talented at what he does with regards to being a manager or an advocate or whatever it may well be for his for his um, clients. Heenan could elevate somebody. Because he was, a, back in the 80s when you had the Heenan family and so on, because he was associated with so many great stars and guys who were very prominent on television and prominent on pay-per-views, if Heenan was put with somebody new or Heenan bought in somebody new, as a fan, you almost kind of thought, okay, this person I, I want to pay attention to because they're with Bobby Heenan. So I, I think maybe if the context was done correctly, it may could, it may well have helped Pittman's character because Heenan could have been the guy to be like, okay, look, we're going to turn him into this, this and this and then give him a few wins on TV and start pinning it on Heenan being the reason why. Again, if it was done that way, it, it could potentially have some legs to it. But my mindset is, yeah, I agree with you. Pittman has done nothing of value in so far since in our watchback. I've, I've got no interest. I'll be honest. When Pittman turned up on the television here, I didn't tweak who it was. So that shows how um, memorable and and good his run has been so far. I guess. I mean, I I didn't even tweak who he was. And when they when they announced who he was, I was, I was like, oh, is he still here? That's the kind of mindset I had, you know. So yeah, yeah, totally. We get our next in-ring contest, and we have Lex Luger versus Marcus Alexander Bagwell of the American Males, looking rather wonderful, very particular mid-90s look, that is, isn't it? The little highlights in the overly gelled hair, little goatee beard. My mates all looked like this, mate, all of them. Everyone I played football with looked like this. (laughs) Yeah, um, he certainly did. And what's fascinating to me is uh, Bagwell still has that same goatee to this day. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, this this was this was a de- decent TV match, I guess. Again, it gets Luger over. He he wins the match with the rack. It's very punch kick, punch kick. Couple of slams, only a few minutes long. Luger wins with the rack. The crowd pop for the rack again. Kinda, 
kind of does its job. It's another win for Luger, building up momentum going into the pay-per-view. The main aspect of it, I suppose, is that Mean Gene then arrives again to talk with Luger and Hart. And we get pretty much the same as we did last week with that they're all discussing winning the title from Savage and Luger being the, the uncrowned world champion and so on. I mean, there wasn't masses in this segment here that we hadn't already seen, but I suppose it keeps Luger fresh in the memory and adds a little bit more momentum to the character, Danny. Yeah, it really does. Um, the highlight that made me laugh during uh, Mean Gene's um, interview with Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart was Lex Luger claiming he was breathless with anticipation when really he was just probably blown up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a great point. He's proper gasping, isn't he? <gasps> As he's, he's trying to catch his breath. <laughs> I'm breathless with anticipation. Uh, okay, I, mate. I must use that <laughs> next time at football. <laughs> Yeah, work on your cardio, Lex. Come on, pal. It's all about lifting weight. <laughs> oh, dear me. The next match we have is Sting on television, which is always brilliant and always gets a great reaction from the crowd and from me, to be honest. I just love seeing Sting. And he's wrestling Bobby Eaton, or Earl Robert Eaton, as he is referred to here. He's part of the Blue Bloods tag team with, with Stephen Regal, stroke William Regal. And this is... Again, I suppose a, a decent enough television match. There's not masses that goes on here. I kind of think it's similar to the one previously in that it's getting Sting on television in the same way it got Luger on television and adds a win to Sting and more momentum heading into the pay-per-view. So it's very rest hold heavy. Eaton's in control for a while. Eventually Eaton misses a move off the top and, and Sting gets the win via submission with the, the Scorpion Deathlock. I've not missed yeah. much there, Danny, have I? No, you haven't. Um, I would say the only thing I wrote down about this was Bobby Eaton's punches were just brilliant, wasn't weren't they? I mean, we we talk about like we've seen good punches from people like Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, things like that, but Bobby Eaton's um, punches of masterclass. Bobby Eaton, uh, God bless him. He's, he obviously passed away quite recently. Bobby Eaton is so underrated. He's one of the. He's one of those guys that I could go back and watch again and again and again. It is run with the Midnight Express tag team and then his singles stuff. And, and oh, just Bobby Eaton was superb. Dangerous Alliance stuff a couple of years before this with him. And he was tagging with Arn Anderson for a while and so on. Just absolute gold. So, so good in the ring. I, I implore anyone to go back and check out any of Bobby Eaton's career from that time. The guy was so so good and it gets overlooked sometimes i think because it when when he was in the midnight express it, people are now seeing their praises i mean i'm a big midnight express fan but there's uh, so many great tag teams from that time the steiners the road warriors and all this sort of stuff the rock and roll as well obviously and all these teams as well and then further up the card you had all the stuff of the horseman and luger and you know barry windham and all that sort of stuff. sometimes i think Eaton gets a little bit lost in the shuffle when people are talking about how great Jim Crockett promotions was in a certain era and how great the Midnight Express were when they were, when they moved around different territories. I really implore people to go and check it out. It was just such an example of how tag team wrestling should be done. And from Bobby Eaton, how wrestling should be done. Yeah, definitely. I, I've checked out a few of those things. And um, yeah, I'd say he's definitely better during that time because this character to him, I mean, he pulled it off well, but I just, I don't, I don't feel like his heart's into this character. Yeah, I think it was, like, I think it was a case of trying to give him something to do. Uh, Regal was playing this character already where they were trying to give Regal something to do. So it's the old adage, isn't it? I suppose we'll chuck a couple of guys in a tag team and see if it sticks and... You know, I mean, they were they were decent enough. They they had some good tag matches, but I mean, it's two great workers. Don't get me wrong. The gimmick is a little bit dated for me, even here in '95 when they've only been doing it a short while. It's quite an old-fashioned style gimmick, I suppose. But yeah, with the actual in-ring side of things from from Eaton and Regal as well, I guess you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with watching those guys. No, totally agreed. And I suppose that's it straight away brings us up to up to our main event and it's mm. for the world heavyweight title and we have the challenge of the giant going up against our champion matcha man randy savage a world title closing an episode of nitro again they're putting out the big guns aren't they really kind of i mean this to me we were talking the other week on nitro nights here about matches that would be seen as a draw 
matches that would potentially bring in money. This, to me, is another match of this era, late 95, the Giant and Savage for the title. To me, that's a money match. And here we are again with it on three television. But I don't mind that so much because I know where we're going in the pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was brilliant. Uh, This was hyped last week as well. So a lot of the viewers uh, had their chance to tune in and say, oh, we're going to see the Giant versus Macho Man. So I like that it was hyped before. Uh, the week before, which Nitro has done a good job of doing as well. Um, mm. And there was a lot to this match that we're going to get into, but I was excited to see a world title match again in much a man's second def- title defence. Yeah, I mean, in that case, Danny, there's, you said there's, there's stuff to get into. Please, by all means, just crack on, dive on in, tell us what you liked about this contest. Well, the first thing I have to say is both of them got their fir- their four entrances. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a plus um i would also say um there was just a lot of back and forth storytelling things like that um the main thing to me that really stuck out was after the match but um we'll get into that but th- this is also what i wrote down as well why would vince one much a man out of the ring when he could put on good matches like this yeah, it's an age thing, wasn't it? It was an age thing. They wanted to very much like uh, reinvent the WWF with younger guys. <sighs> yeah, the, the whole steroid scandal kind of changed the way WWF was going to promote things. They couldn't have the big muscle-bound monsters anymore because they were being looked at. Obviously, this is a couple of years after that, but big, big money as well was being thrown around by Turner and WCW. <sighs> I mean, Savage... Savage wasn't old, old, but he looked older than he was, I think. He had the bold spot for a very long time. And when you put him against the likes of, just stood next to the likes of, say, a Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, who were quite prominent in, in, w, in WWF in 92, 93, 94. And then Diesel, of course, came in as well. He did look old, stood next to these guys. Now, I can kind of see where Vince is coming from if he's trying to get that perception of these are where the younger better quicker talented wrestlers are i can understand that but vince wanted i think uh, from what i read and how i understand it vince wanted randy to work occasionally in the ring but predominantly as a commentator randy didn't want to they couldn't come to a conclusion there's this big money offer from turner on the table so off he went where the money was and and, you know and you're right he went off and did what he's doing here and he's having some great matches uh, danny isn't he yeah, he really is, and he's going to make stars like DDP, even a giant to a degree, is like is mm-hmm. being made here. Um, I talked about it a couple times now, but I think the key, a big key of me enjoying wrestling is when the older guy takes a new guy under his wing and just um, makes him better, like molds him and makes him better in in the ring. And I think um, this was a good example of it because we saw something. I'd never seen uh, the giant do a frog splash before, and I found that was very interesting. And um, also, the giant doing a drop kick was it just it just blew my mind. To be honest, um, what did you think about this match? So, si? yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but all the way through, it was kind of hanging over me. Okay, when is Hogan going to come in? When are we going to get Flair and the Horseman? When's Luger going to? When are we going to get all that? shenanigans i guess that we got last week when's it going to happen again is kind of what i was thinking but the 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 splash from the giant which ultimately he misses fantastic effort there looks looks spectacular the big you know bush of hair falling behind him and all of that the drop kick as well yeah quite a spectacular thing to see providing he doesn't bust it out too often in my opinion i mean the guy is over seven foot and he looks the way he does he doesn't need to be doing those moves if he busts them out once in the blue moon they look incredible. If he does them all the time, they lose all meaning. So yeah. that's one aspect potentially to think about. But um, he misses the splash, and then we get to see the the awesome. Sorry, I say the giant misses the splash. Sorry, uh, he gets to, and we get to see the awesome Randy Savage top rope elbow drop, and then the giant kicks out by bench pressing Savage about four foot in the air. That was amazing. Yes, and the uh, commentators put over really strong as well. Yes, totally, totally. The Giant then goes for, effectively, a Hulk Hogan-style leg drop, doesn't he? And yeah. they don't look the greatest. There's, you, know, you could probably drive a double-decker bus between the gap of the Giant's leg and Savage's head, to be fair. It's quite noticeable. But when that happens, Hogan turns up with a chair and just 
goes a bit mental. A bit mental, Si. This, um, I thought this was Balls Mahoney in the Hulk Hogan uh, outfit. <laughs> <laughs> he, He's you could tell all over the place. Yeah, you could tell. I think that the Hulkster had been watching ECW because the headshots that he took on the giant. I mean, there used to be this thing in uh, WWF that uh, Bradshaw would hit somebody in the head with a chair to make them pay their dues. I'm wondering if this was the giant paying his dues. Well, potentially, potentially. And then the other side of the coin as well, he swung some chair shots that were so, so soft and so delicately done. Like he's really trying to look after his, his opponents or the referee he hit and so on. He's being really delicate with them. It's like, just, just find the middle ground, mate. <laughs> yeah, true. But, um, I mean, that that's what really stuck out to me. Also, when he showed up and tore his shirt off, it was the crowd reaction was actually positive for a change. I don't yes. know if you noticed that. So. Yeah, here, the reaction for Hogan was a lot more positive than what we saw and spoke about last week on Nitro Nights when they were in North Carolina. Here in Georgia, that they're Hogan getting quite a positive response, as you said. Then, there's still a few boos, but mainly positive. Now, part of me thinks is that because everyone likes Savage so much and they're reacting in a good way because he's he's making the save with Savage. Is it because they just like seeing people hit with chairs? I don't know. You know, it's a, that either way, Hogan gets a relatively positive reaction. Yeah, I, I enjoyed um, the energy of the of the, this segment as well. But straight after that, it did go downhill for me um, when Macho Man did come out and once again was dressed down by the Hulkster. Yes, I mean, eventually when Hogan has, has cleared everybody out, I mean, the Giant does come back out again in, in a short while, but Hogan clears him off again and so on. And we end up with one of those one of those promos or interview segments that we had a lot of in our early days of Nitro Nights that I thought we were moving away from in the last couple of weeks, but we're back here with it again. And it's very much Hogan and Savage not arguing over the mic because that doesn't describe it accurately enough that they're allowing each other to speak, which is good. At least we're not seeing pettiness and arguing about trying to get their stuff in. But I suppose the, the, the lengthy drawn out interview segments with these two because it seems like they both want to have the final say so hogan says what seems like a good point to end the interview on but savage grabs the mic and wants to say something else to which then hogan's like well i, I should be the, i'm the star of the show i should be closing the segment so he grabs the mic and it goes back and forth back and forth and even gene at this stage is looking pissed off even mean gene's thinking oh my god come on we, we also find out that flair is facing savage next week for the world title so we get Savage versus Flair next week for, for the World Championship on what will effectively be Christmas Day in the WCW 1995 timeline, which is quite interesting. And then Hogan will face the winner of that after Starcade. So the world title uh, program or the world title schedule, I guess, is planned for the next foreseeable future, which I think is a really interesting way of doing things. You kind of know, okay, whoever wins this match is facing this guy. Whoever wins this match is facing... And that, to me, is quite interesting because you don't get a lot of that in modern-day wrestling anymore, do you? No, not at all. Um, I think that's pretty cool as well. It keeps people guessing. It's like, oh, man, what's going to happen like, next with um, the world title? Um, then a very interesting point comes again because, sadly, Hulk Hogan has to point out that his name is still on the championship belt. Yeah, why? Why have they not just got Randy Savage's nameplate and put it on the bloody title belt? This is ridiculous. It's been a it's month. This, this is my version of you getting angry about people not getting a full entrance this is my very i, I am this pisses me off i, I can see why i mean it, it's just it's been a month i mean they haven't got the world title nameplate do they just think he's not going to hold it for much longer so they didn't bother it kind of feels like when the the what the, the last tournament um that scotland qualified for in the football the last the last football tournament scotland qualified for they booked their flights home for about three weeks before the tournament finished. And they were, you know, to me, that's just like, okay, they've already decided that they ain't going to do very well then. It's kind of stinks of that aspect that they're, they're, we're not going to bother getting Randy Savage a name, right? Because he's just going to lose it soon anyway. It, it kind of, but if they feel that way, and then Hogan is going out of his way to point it out, the bastard. 
I mean, if Hogan didn't point it out, I wouldn't know. I mean, I could pause my teddy, I could really zoom in and look, but I would have no need to do that if Hogan didn't say anything. Just shut up. I totally agreed. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so annoying. I can see why you're very annoyed at this, to be fair. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to carry on as well, because <laughs> that's effectively the end of the Nitro. That's the end of the thing, that they go back and forth on the mic for a bit, agree to, you know, Hogan will face Savage, in theory, is what they're saying, after all the other title matches, and all this back and forth and so on. And then to polish it off, the end of the show, two guys stood in the ring. One of them has got the big gold belt over his shoulder, and one of them is your world champion, but they're playing Hulk Hogan's bloody music to close the show. You should never do that. You should be that literally makes people go off the air. People watching as they as, as the show goes off the air, they're perceiving Hogan as the bigger star. Whether they realize it or not, that is the kind of thing they're leaning into there. And it cuts Randy Savage off at the knees. Big time. But th- there was one thing I wanted to point out was um, Hulk Hogan, just before this, um, is named Mongo as Steve Michaels, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite right, Hogan. Not quite right. Uh, there we go, then. That concludes this episode of Nitro. And I'll be honest, I thought we were next going to be looking at Starcade. We've got an extra cheeky Nitro slipping in there, aren't we, Danny? Yeah, we have. Um, that's going to be the last one of 1995. So I'm excited to see that when we hear it next week. Yep, Christmas Day edition from 1995. And then after that, here on Nitro Nights, we will be looking at Starcade 1995, the big battle between New Japan Pro Wrestling and WCW, the triple threat for the number one contendership, and then ultimately the match for the World Heavyweight title. A lot going on there, but we've got one more Nitro to go before we get there with the main event of Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan. That was a WrestleMania main event a couple of years before this, for crying out loud. And it's on free television. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, just, uh, but I'm just worried about how it will go. I mean, I'm not going to look into what happens, but yeah, I mean, just judging of how that segment went, let's, let's just play by ear. Yeah, good shake, mate. Good shake. Okay, what has been good for us this week and what has made us cross? Let's look at our woos and our O-brothers. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, Woo! brother. Danny, first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, sir. Okay, uh, let's start with something negative then, shall we? So we can finish on a high. I will give my old brother first, and it's obvious what this is going to be. It's Hogan overshadowing the champ again. The music, the nameplate, the not letting him finish last on the microphone, not letting him be the guy who closes the segment. It just doesn't allow Savage to take his place, rightful place, at this point in time as the main guy, as the top guy. What's your old brother, my friend? I totally agree with that because, um, yeah, I mean, we're saying it week in, week out, but with the exception of last week, it just feels like this title reign doesn't matter to um, to much, our man. I mean, for, for WSW. But yeah, my old brother is... is um, I was I was torn between that Hulk Hogan, just based as you said, cutting uh, Macho Man off at the knees, or the chair shots that he delivered to uh, that Hulk Hogan delivered to the Giants, because they were very very grim in hindsight. But uh, I'm gonna have to go with the chair shots because I just cringed every time he, he just whacked him in the face and the head is very brutal. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, something positive to end the show on then. Our woos. Mine this week is Arn Anderson and the whole four, the whole four horsemen dynamic. Arn very much being a case of if you come for one of us, you're coming for all of us. We are the four horsemen. Just everything about Arn Anderson at this time is bloody amazing. He is the glue that is holding them together. The crazy pillman, the not currently seen very often Benoit, and the, the always over the top and crazy Ric Flair. Arn is the glue that's holding this this incarnation of the Horsemen together, and he is believable in everything he does. Fantastic performance again this week by Arn Anderson. Yourself, Danny? Um, it, Maru actually matches up with Ric Flair because it's his match with Eddie Guerrero. Um, that, okay. Yeah, that was um, definitely the highlight of this episode because it was my favourite match I enjoyed. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. And as always then, I suppose we've got to rate the uh, rate the episode of Nitro in general. Hit, miss or middling, my friend? I'm going with a hit this week. Um, 
there was a lot that kept me entertained. Uh, it's just the ending that just I just wasn't a fan of. Um, how about yourself, sir? Si? Yeah, it just sneaks in there for me. I was I was toying with a very 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 high middle or a low hit. It just sneaks into it for me. You know, I, I think there was enough on this show to make me watch again next week. I didn't want to skip any segment, even the Hogan stuff, whereas annoying as it is, I felt I could watch it fine. Yeah, it just sneaks in. It's a low end hit for me. <laughs> but there we go. That concludes our look back on this episode of Nitro. Uh, Danny, John, let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on A Changing Attitude with the great Mags Orientana. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about the Go Home Nitro to um, Starcade with the great Cy Powell. Oh, you've got to stop it with all that, mate. <laughs> I appreciate it, though. It's very kind of you. It's very kind of you. You can find me on Twitter at SJP Words and on Facebook. You want to look for the group SJP, all the shows and info. Both of those just serve as a point of contact to either A, get in touch with me if you want to for any particular reason, or B, find out about more of the shows I'm involved in. For example, this one here, Nitro Nights, with the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. Always uh, find links to that show on my social medias that I've given out there. If wrestling is your thing, then Chain Wrestling also comes out once a week via a podcast version. But we are live also with the same show on a Monday evening. If you fancy checking us out live, being involved in the chat there, always a good time had on a Monday evening there. If wrestling isn't really your thing, first of all, what you're doing is into this. Bit weird. But otherwise, if a sci-fi is more your bag, then I'm also quite geeky about that as well. We have Quantum Leap looked at episode by episode in the show the waiting room with our good friend benny mac and we do the same thing with doctor who jumping around back and forth between classic who and new who and all sorts of that sort of great good timey wimey wibbly wobbly nonsense with our good friend dan griffin on the doctor who pod but as i said sjp all the shows and info on facebook or sjp at sjp words on twitter is the main links for all of that danny it's been a blast again my friend that's both of us giving a hit two weeks in a row what could wow. possibly go wrong wow let's hope nothing happens next week <laughs> <laughs> Danny it's been a blast again my friend I'll speak to you next week see you next week sir and to everyone else as always thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>